Best Book Bits podcast brings you Brian Kramer, a renowned business strategist, global keynote speaker, executive trainer and coach, two times bestselling author and Forbes contributor. He's the CEO of H2H Companies, an executive coaching company and co-owner of Pure Matter, a Silicon Valley marketing agency founded in 2001. Brian, thank you for being on the show. Thank you so much for having me, Michael. I really appreciate it. Happy to be here. No worries. Now, for more audience who don't know who you are, uh, you've got a fantastic life resume, which is amazing. Take us back to the beginning. Who is the 18-year-old Brian? What was your first job after school? My first job after school. Is that the question? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my first job after school was at a uh, advertising agency. I got a job right leading out of there. Uh, I got the letter before I graduated, thank God. Uh, and, and getting that job was, was exciting because, uh, that was just the beginning of the internet, um, building websites. Uh, I actually, uh, graduated and with what communications was, what was that degree, company? but, uh, getting that job was really cool because, um, you know, people at agencies were still traditional, uh, design companies, design agencies and communications agencies. So, uh, building websites and interactive companies were just the very beginning. And so my job was to come in and help them learn how to start to integrate and build websites. And so uh, that was my, my, my job was really kind of starting on the innovation front on the digital divide, if you will. Yeah, perfect. And um, in terms of uh, your early 20s, what, how did the story unfold through there? What were you sort of doing in your 20s and how did it all lead up to, you know, doing two books and becoming a keynote speaker and doing your Ted talk and all that. So what was it, what was it like in your twenties? Oh man. Well, you know, one of the things that I really loved to do was to speak just in general. I would talk to a wall if, if the wall went, you know, didn't even talk back that, that, that was, that was totally fine with me. Um, I, I really enjoyed, uh, um, you know, as I mentioned, my, my degree was in communications, uh, specifically in PR. Um, I found my way into digital communications, however, um, and in um, this wonderlust of uh, really uh, loving the uh, customer journey online. Um, that's not actually how, where I ended up uh, later in life, but my 20s led me through that journey of uh, going, into, going into agencies and figuring out what, um, what, what was it that um, you know, they needed and how were they going to survive um, this new digital era. And, uh, and so that was where I spent a good majority of my 20s. Um, the uh, agency that I first started at, I ended up working for that same person at my third company, which was a consulting company. We, I think we started at three people in our little group, but the company ended up at 75 people. And I got a chance to um, use their money as my uh, kind of like a, a little bit like a VC. Uh, I, I got to create my own P&L and sell and create my own uh, company within the company. It was an in, uh, a company here in Silicon Valley. Um, I grew up here, so it wasn't Silicon Valley when I grew up here um, in San Jose, California. And at that point, we, um, we grew. Uh, we grew so fast. It was uh, right through um, the dot-com era. And uh, and we built sites and created digital experiences that were just in, just fun and, and exciting at the time. Um, and right around, uh, I, th I think it was like the late 2000s, um, the company sold and, and uh, it was time to start looking for what was next. And that's what led me into 
the books that you're talking about um, and, and speaking. Yeah, and, and that company that uh, you worked in CEO was Pure Matter, is that correct? Yeah, that, that was in 2001. So um, 2001 was when we started, Courtney and I, my partner and wife, we, we got married, started Pure Matter and had a child all within two years. So talk about a lottery ticket. Um, but yeah, we did it and we started Pure Matter. We saw it through 25 years and all of its ups and downs. Um, the books didn't come until uh, about, I think it was eight years later. Um, the The agency was finding its groove and working on all kinds of really creative projects in locally. It's once we started to uh, find our ways our way out of the local uh, local um, projects and started to work on things like Netflix and Cisco and MasterCard and, you know, little companies. Uh, and uh, did the speaking career start before the book, like with the TED Talk? So how did, how did you become a, a speaker? How did that start? No, I, like I said, I would, I would speak to a wall if I could. So I was speaking at um, things like Rotary and, um, you know, smaller, smaller, uh, venues um my 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 keynotes uh began to then express themselves through uh other brand uh functions um brand areas i was speaking at the brand innovators uh a, a keynote one day in san francisco uh when i was giving the keynote on um how how to highlight your brand in the in this new social era that that then was the day that changed my life um, after all of these times that I was speaking more locally. And then eventually um, I was speaking, um, you know, in marketing events, um, those marketing events and that event. Uh, I was up on stage and halfway through the event, uh, there was a slide up that said there's no B2B or B2C. It's HH human to human. Um, all of a sudden, uh, every marketer in the room lifted their phone, took a picture of me and that slide in the middle of the, the uh, presentation. And in the next 24 hours, it went viral over 124 million impressions of uh, hashtag H2H went off. And um, instantaneously, I was um, amongst marketers, at least a, a name, uh, a brand name. And so was h I, I then took that and uh, took all of the blogs that I had written along with my wife for the next four days in order to capture everything that was coming in off of Twitter and Facebook and Instagram of what was this and how does this work about the book and we um, about the uh, sorry the the message and we wrote a book in four days, self published it and put it out and it became a bestseller instantly uh, because of the science because of the times because of what it meant. Yeah, yeah, awesome story and just to give a bit of bit background to my audience who's out there. So uh, H to H means human to human. Uh, there is no B to B uh, and B to C. It is human to human. So I'll give a little uh, book blurb and then we can jump into the talk about that particular book and then the other one. So you're talking about bringing back the human side of communication in all its imperfection, empathy, and simplicity. Um, to people listening there, out there, what is H to H mean to you? Human to human is... Um the opposite of everything that we had done to ourselves uh, before social media. It, in, there's a lot of things that we had before social media um, that were that were simplified. We used to have door-to-door -door salesmen. We used to have people, or salespeople. We used to have people that would walk up and sell you a vacuum. That was H-Date. Um, then we started to make it more complex and cluttered. 
um, we did that to ourselves. We would, we would have acronyms. I, I'm, not, I'm sure you would walk into a company at any point and you could say, um, you know, you could make a dictionary of all the acronyms every company had for themselves in, internally. We made things more complex than they had to be. And all of a sudden it would find its way out into the land of customers and they didn't understand any of these acronyms and what the, the brand stood for. Uh, we made it too complex. HDH stood for simplicity. Um, HDH stood for uh, more than just being human to human. It stood for how we were now going to communicate in this world of uh, conversation that we could use in social media, one-to-one, anywhere. And at the time, uh, brands now had to deal with consumers being able to talk online freely and openly. That's groundbreaking. At, again, at the time, now it's table stakes. Uh, it's grown since then. It's become a different definition than just that. But uh, when it came out, that was that was the reason for it. Now, simplicity is one. Um, empathy is another. And imperfection is another. So those are the three pillars. Those are the three reasons for why we need human to human as humans. Um, and those things stand the test of time for what makes us unique. Yeah. Yeah. In the book, you, you go through sort of the unnatural language of business and, you know, consumers are, are confused with a, not, a whopping sort of 93% of, of communication is based on, you know, nonverbal body language. That leaves 7% to explain verbally uh, what we really mean. Um, you're right in saying, you know, how we're going forward as a as a culture, it is human to human and it's it's not machine to machine and having the power to not only communicate and create content, but consumers can voice their opinions online about companies and products and services as well. Um, talk to me a little bit about sort of um, that that context with the, the killer of confusion uh, online, if you can, in your book. Yeah. Um, well, killer of confusion is really around um, the language that we use. Um, context is king over everything. So how we use co- uh, things in context is um, in life and how we how we communicate with each other around powerful questions. Um, the way that we are with yeah. each other, um, that's the key. So using context, um, when, when we're, you know, in tweets, we're only allowed, you know, a certain number of characters. If you think you're going to get an entire... Uh, uh, um, idea of what people really mean in a tweet, that's not going to happen. Uh, so a lot of us are having uh, strange conversations with strangers all over the world and context is not happening. So there, there, there's a strong chance that we're going to argue um, and we don't have that context. So how do you get that? Well, you get that through uh, active listening. Um, ask more questions, listen deeper, create more engagement through listening. Um, the, the harder you listen, the more you're going to start to understand the other person uh, before you start to uh, take a side, before you start to create more, um, more uh, meaning for yourself and, and figure out what you, you believe. Try to listen in and, and create more deeper listening. There's three, three areas, three, three ways that you can listen. One is thinking about yourself. The second one is thinking about the other person. And the third one is not thinking at all, just just deep listening. Um, it's it's not thinking about the question that's coming. It's not thinking about what you're going to say. It's thinking about just what the other person is saying. That level three, if we were all in level three, we would be in an incredible world. So um, get to level three. Uh, if you can get to level three um, in 
you know, online or in person, uh, you would solve context, contextual issues all over the place. Yeah, well said. And in chapter two, you, you go through uh, how to speak human, tapping into our needs and senses. I want you to sort of expand on, you know, what does human sensory building mean? You talk about sight, touch, listen. What, what does that exactly mean? Um, well, we well we had that taken away from us over the last few years here in the pandemic. Um, so now you have a chance to see what what we had and what we now don't have. Um, in fact, um, you know, there's, there's one thing that we all need as humans. Um, I did this research in, in um, both books, in Sherology and HH. And, and one thing that we both need, or that we all need, uh, in every single human being, out of every interview that I did, um, is connection. And that trickles down to uh, everything that you just said, our sensory the, 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 you know, the touch, smell, all the, all the different sensory devices that we have um, are things that give us um, and empower us to be able to um, create more connection with others. Uh, without that, it makes it harder, not, not impossible, but harder. And um, so how do we create more of that? Well, we create more of that through uh, more engagement. Um, engagement is my number one KPI. It's not, uh, it's not actually, yes, we need more conversion. Yeah, we need more, uh, more dollars and cents. We're all dot coms, not dot orgs, most of us. But, but the one thing that if we were to measure and actually you know, take a look at as, as people in success and say, um, while we had meaningful discussions, meaningful human discussions, those discussions would relate to engagement higher level engagement. And if that engagement really believe, really created more, um, uh, more of those sensory uh, um, uh, areas, you would be winning. Um, you would be creating more things that we all um, connect into. And then I think that would, um, that would make you a more human company. Um, I don't see very many companies doing that right now. And, and it is difficult as well. And in chapter three, you go through, humans just want to be heard. And, and, but how do we scale to make everyone feel like they matter? Um, well, first of all, reply back. Um, it, it, the worst thing in the world is not replying back. I think, you know, as, as somebody who puts themselves out there, um, you know, there's, there's so many different uh, conversations going on. And if you see a meaningful question or a, um, some kind of outreach, whether it's on social or just even in an email, um, reply back. No, number two is, um, you know, you have a lot of people that care that are shouting you out from the rooftops that believe in your brand. They're what you might call influencers, but they, they, they could also just be advocates of your brand. They, they would live and die for your brand. You know who they are. And, um, and they're sitting there on the front lines just waiting to spread the word about your brand. It's a really good time to reach out and thank them. A thank you goes a long way. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. Uh, chapter four, you, you go through the human need to be disruptive. And one of the little images you've got there is the social stadium. So obviously, you've got you in the middle. Uh, social channels are the medium and the idea is disturbance. So how do you humanize a crowd? Well, you, you, can't, you can't humanize the entire crowd at once. That's impossible. Um, 
if if you were standing in the middle of a crowd uh, shouting, that you wouldn't be heard. But if you were to take it like a, the wave, so it, let's say that um, you know you everybody I think has done the wave or seen the wave at a stadium at some point in their life. Um, if you haven't, go go out to a stadium and you're homework from listening to this podcast is to get yourself into a wave because you're missing out on some fun. Um, the, the, the wave is, uh, is a great example of how to take place in what needs to be done inside of business. When you think something's impossible, uh, think of the wave, uh, crazy George in 1984 was a, um, uh, a professor at San Jose state. He's also a cheerleader. Uh, and he went to San, he went to the Oakland A's and he, started the wave. It's this simple little thing of getting a group of people to sit down and stand up at the same time as it transferred around an entire stadium. Now, here's the, here's the interesting thing. It didn't work. It didn't work for, for two years um, until one day it did. And what happened, what he figured out is he couldn't get the entire stadium to do it. But what he could do is he could get a small group of people sitting next to him to do it. And that small group of people could then get the group around them to do it. And that group around them could get the group around them to do it. And that group could get that group around them to do it. And from there it took off. And from that stadium, it took off and went around the, the, the stadium a couple times. Um, and from that stadium, it went to another stadium two weeks later and another stadium a week later and so on and so forth. And finally this, the wave became a wave. This is very representative of what actually goes on in our companies and, and why we can't move sometimes our audience or our customers or anything. You have to start with one person, one person who holds the vision, and then it need, you need to transfer it to a small group of people who actually hold that vision and know how to get that group of people to move to a, lar a little bit of a, uh, 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 an audience that actually cares, that knows how to get that next group to sit down and stand up at the same time. If we can use that same model and create that same thing, it's going to take off. It's been proven time and time again. Um, so that's, that's how you transfer a wave from, uh, um, from one person to many. Yeah. Yeah. Great story. Uh, I didn't know that about the, the wave. In the book, you, you go through disruption has two sides. One is dark and one is delightful. I guess we can understand what, what dark is. You know, the rise of social media has given people sort of a digital platform to the dark side of amenity. Um, can you touch on that, the, the sides of dark versus delightful with disruption? Um, the Well, yes. Uh, so everything has it, like like you said. And when you look at dark and uh, delightful. It's it's all over the place, and um, the the interesting thing about dark and delightful is that we need both so that we understand what the other side feels like. We have our down days and we have our up days. We also have um, incredible campaigns around. Um, you know, there, like for instance, we've got uh, this thing years ago. I love absolutely love the Bat Kid. Uh, it's a it's one of my favorite favorite case studies or favorite things that happened where, you know, the kid made his last wish and, um, and he, and the whole city of San Francisco got together and they took him around in the Batmobile and, uh, you know, at one stadium at the Oakland A's stadium or a uh, giant stadium, they had, uh, him run the bases with, um, Batman. And then they took him to another place and they had the Joker. And uh, this is a kid who had cancer and was, you know, 
uh, had his last wish and they, the whole city got, got behind it. The reason they got behind it is because one lady wrote a blog post asking if the city could actually get behind this whole thing. And it took off into a citywide um, uh, movement behind the kid. That to me is the light side of life. And then you take the dark side, you look at the dark side of what AI could become if we don't pay attention of artificial intelligence taking over and actually writing its own language and talking to itself on both sides, which Facebook has had to ha happen. And they had to shut down their servers because they created a it, the servers created its own language and talked to itself. And that's the dark side of life when things can start to create more than what humans actually can possibly think of. So we have to be, always be thinking about those things. We always have to be on top of them. If we can start to discover what more light we want in our lives and less dark, we can create more of that, more of what we want. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I think wrapping that up, you sort of talk about the dwarf side of humanity holds it um, when we have empathy, you know, understanding and forgiveness. And remembered in our communication, it, it ties together as a as a common group. And, you know, majority of the people out there on the planet are, are positive. And sometimes the online world can sort of shine a lot of light on the dark side because of the people hiding behind, you know, keyboard warriors and things like that too. But it is nice. And thank you for sharing that story about the, the little kid with Batman. And, you know, I've seen that before. So that's really, really cool. Um, so where do marketers go from now? Like when you, when you screw up, one thing you say in the book is when you screw up, just, just say you're sorry and, and mean it. How do we build sort of uh, real relationships? What are some tips and tricks that uh, we can use to build real relationships with companies? You know, relationships are um, built on trust and trust is hard, harder to earn more and more. So every day, because we're uh, sitting behind computers, sitting behind Zoom or sitting behind some kind of um, uh, network or some kind, something that's holding us back even more so. It's that same digital divide. It's the third screen. It's something that's, that's creating a, a challenge for us to create more trust uh, when we can't be in person um, to do that. And I think that the, the, the real challenge is for us to um, peel back, uh, and this goes back to the um, the uh, um, the things that we learned in school, which is peeling back the onion. Um, it's it's when you peel back the onion, you're peeling back more about yourself and sharing more, um, whether it's yourself about the company or yourself about you. Uh, that might look like more vulnerability. It might look like uh, creating a deeper. Um, understanding about each other and sharing more. It might look like sharing more time. When you, when you share more time with each other, instead of being f quick to get off uh, a call or a Zoom or a Google Meet or whatever, uh, we're so fast to have these quick conversations in 15 or 30 minutes. What would a 90 minute conversation look like? And how might you take a chance to, uh, or take a look at how you can create a deeper uh, connection with another human being and, and come off of that going, wow, that was fascinating. I never would have known so many things about another person and come off with ways that you can now support and serve that other person. If you can do that and we can do that more, I think we'll have deeper relationships, not, not these superficial relationships where we're walking off saying, how can I, how can I sell you? 
How can I get what I need to do? And let's flip the script. Let's say, how can I serve you? And what can I, what can I give? And to, in order to do that, I need to go deeper and make sure that we're having a real relationship. I know these are fundamental um, things that we all think about doing, but we never get to them because we're so involved in our own story of I've got to get to the next thing and I've got to do it now or otherwise I'm not going to make my X, Y, and Z list by the end of the year for what I need to do or by the end of the quarter or whatever it is. But it's actually playing against you. Try to serve, not sell. Yeah, well put. And I guess it does come down to care as well. There's uh, sort of, the, I think, the bigger you get, the lack of care there is. We've got to go back to the roots and understand that, you know, those small little um, mindset shifts of, of caring as well really does transmute and, and, and transpire and inspire people as well. Um, I want to sort of jump to your, your second book. So that was your first book, uh, H to H. Uh, your second book was Shareology. What was the, the gap between the first book and the second book and um, what, what made you write it? Um, so interestingly enough, the book gap was, um, was supposed to be reversed. The, Shareology book was supposed to be first and H to H was never really a, a book that I saw coming. Um, like I said, um, the stage and um, that the tweets and the Instagram and the posts that I had with H to H pushed Shareology off. Uh, I was currently writing Shareology at the time. And um, that book was a massive undertaking. That was, that was a lot of interviews that I did with all of those people of all walks of life on why, how, when, where, and um, uh, what people and brands share uh, with the idea of forming a thesis and a um, statement over what the, um, what the actual formula could be for sharing, um, which, I, which I put together in the book and we can talk about. But what, what was really um, hard for me was putting it actually on the back shelf and saying, okay, got it. I got to take time to actually write this book later because HH is really the primary goal. And it ended up working out. Um, because HH actually informed the book better. It, it created um, a way for me to actually embed more of what I was focused on at the time into the next book. And and I don't think it would have been as successful, um, literally and figuratively, uh, as it was without uh, that being reversed. So the universe just said, here's what we're going to do. <laughs> and I followed that path. And, and that's what happened. So... Um, so it was a year and a half later after HGH, and that's when Shareology came out. Um, I did have a publisher for that one with Morgan James, and um, and we sold, I think, something in, it was like about 37,000-something books that time around, and it was printed in seven languages, um, and I was just uh, well, be, well above honored for how well the book did. Um, and I, I just um, really enjoyed the process. I don't know if I'd take a year and a half to write a book again. That was that was kind of grueling, but the um, but the things that I learned out of the book and the things that I was able to speak on out of the book was was uh, something I'm really proud of. Yeah, well done. And I wouldn't mind jumping into some of the chapters. And I read both books. They're great and fantastic uh, read. Um, chapter one, you, you jump into the importance of sharing and talk to me about resisting the cocoon. What is resisting the cocoon? Yeah, um, we're still there. Um, ironically, the cocoon is something that Faith Popcorn talks about in 1984, ironically, in her book, The Popcorn Report. Um, where she predicted in, uh, and this is like, 
years ago, 1984, that we would all cocoon in our homes and have everything delivered to us. 1984. Um, and we would resist the cocoon. So in, 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 I, I think in the two, early 2000s, at some point, we started to deliver things to our homes. I mean, Amazon was just barely even on our radar. Um, and now, uh, you know, it, it, it's, it's everybody that is uh, cocooning in our homes. And what does that mean for us when we, when we go to share with each other? How, how has sharing changed when we are all cocooning? Um, and what does that mean for you, uh, when you when you go to share, uh, like at a deeper level, are you able to, um, con- considering where we were 20 years ago, 30 years ago, when our playground was actually outside, when you said to your kids, go outside and play, and now the kids play more so on, you know, uh, their computers and games. Um, life is changing. Things are changing. We're, we're, we are continuing to cocoon inside, as, as she so well said. And, and uh, technology is able to and is going to continue to make that more possible uh, as we get things more on demand. And what that's continuing to do is it's continuing to evolve the way that we share with each other. And so I'm, I'm pointing out that we need to be cognizant of that and understand that sharing online is great. And man, did we miss sharing in person the last two years, didn't we? So we can also go back to the way things were in a little bit. It'll never go back ever again. We, this is the new normal on some respects, in some respects. And, and we, will, uh, we, will, um, we will go back to uh, being with people. And actually, I think we're going to love it in a whole new way. We're going to respect it in a whole new way. Yeah, I think we uh, appreciate a little bit more when something's taken away from us, such as our freedoms. You know, we're down here in Melbourne, Australia, that once was the most livable city, and then it became the most locked down city. Um, you know, as most cities around the world, uh, we were told that we couldn't communicate, you know, and connect. And sort of everyone went online with the Zooms, the FaceTimes, the chats. Uh, but just getting back together to, to what we're all about and, and resisting the cocoon is, you know, the cocoon is easy. It's very, very easy to stay home and get things delivered to your house, but we've got to get back out there in the real world and, and connect with humans too. Uh, yeah, so thanks for expanding on that. Um, another little bit I got from the book was the power of humor. What is the power of humor and how can we use that? The power of humor is one of my favorites in the world um, because without humor, we don't have that light side. Remember, we're talking about the light side and the dark side. Um, power of humor is at every every level of what we need in order to, I think, get through our day and have just that touch of lightness or even a greater deep belly laugh, Uh, maybe a a connection with another human being on the other end about something that only you two uh, might have, or uh, maybe a deeper connection with someone uh, inside of a company that, um, that you don't know, as well as the brand, a lighthearted brand, that can make fun of themselves and they're not so serious and they can put things out that maybe creates a little bit uh, more of a, um, a punch at themselves. Uh, I love brands that take a punch at themselves. Like when you look at Wendy's and how they, you know, put their own tweets on online um, and, and, uh, you know, 
recently they they made fun of themselves uh, when when Facebook changed its name to Meta uh, uh, Meta and then they changed their name online to Beef, <laughs> and I'm like, that's classic Wendy's, you know, in Twitter. Just we're going to name ourselves Beef, <laughs> and they literally changed it right on Twitter. I'm like, who who would do that, right? So, um, you know. This is the kind of stuff we need. We need a, we need more lightness in our lives. We just we just do, and that really creates a, a little bit more of a a likable brand as well, and and a likable person. If you can make fun of yourself, that's a true sign of someone who uh, who 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 can be uh, in in more connection both with themselves and with others. And and so use humor, use it often, and 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 ground and and ground yourself in it. I really believe that. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for sharing the story. Uh, in your book, you talk about uh, one of your live experiments that you did and you conducted a, a live experiment when you did your TED talk about uh, sharing. Talk to me about that. And then, and what did you get the audience uh, to experience the power of sharing? What did you do? The, the power of sharing. Um, this is at my TED talk that um, I did. Uh, I think it was about three and a half, four years ago when um, we use the hashtag sharing inspires. And um, I want, I set out to uh, pr- prove that from a small place. And this, this is um, something that I pitched to the Ted people when they reached out to me to ask if I would speak on the Ted stage. And then you had to pitch your idea. Um, you're supposed to come in with two or three ideas. I came in with one because I really believed in this idea that we can make, uh, we, we can make an, um, um, uh, an idea go go viral if we are um, utilizing the power of of groups, the power of uh, people and humans together with with inspiration, and that's why I chose hashtag Inspiration Inspires or uh, um, uh, Sharing Inspires. And um, so what we did is I got up on stage and I said, "What what could you inspire today?" Right now, from small, medium, or large, how, how would you inspire somebody to do something in any way possible? And um, when I came back up on stage, this is the ironic part. If you go watch the TED Talk, um, you wouldn't know this from watching it. But I picked up the card with the results at the end of the day, and they collected the data, and they put the results onto the card as I'm walking up on stage. Um, I was scared because I didn't know if this whole test that they allowed me to do on the TED stage worked or failed until I grabbed the card and I walked up on stage and I looked at it and it got um, over 20 million uh, impressions uh, and trended internationally on, on Twitter. But I didn't know that I was looking at the card alongside everyone else on stage. And I was like, Oh my God, I can't believe this. It actually worked. Thank God I didn't do this. Uh, you know, the opposite direction. So um, it was neat. It was really neat. It had, um, you know, people saying uh, funny, humorous, humor, uh, very funny stuff. Like um, I put the, I, I just wish we could put the pizza in the oven and uh, push pizza and it would be done. Um, and then we had people in Africa that were tweeting, um, you know, that I wanted uh, for sex trafficking to stop. And um, we had other people tweeting all kinds of stuff, just very inspirational things. And, and what it proved is that, um, that these 200 people sitting in this auditorium, uh, that, 
that shared their inspiring story and then asked others around the world to share theirs, that we could make a difference. And, and all we had to do is share what we believed and then ask others to share what they did. And that shows a lot of power. So um, I encourage everybody to share their, share more of themselves. Uh, and if you inspire just one person out there, uh, that's, that's powerful enough. Yeah. Yeah, that's a great story. I want you to share um, a personal story about yourself and uh, one of the reasons um, why you took a break in the in the business world and how did that come about? I know you were, you know, speaking, going around the world, you know, not eating right, unhealthy. Tell us the story about your health and and your son, if if, if you wouldn't mind sharing that story with us. Yeah, no problem. I'm an open book. Um, yeah, this is this is recently, so. Um, just a few years back, I was traveling too much, uh, traveling about 200 days a year, like you said, speaking. Um, we had the, the agency, and Courtney and I had the agency, and um, I ate my way through every country because the food was so good in every country, and I blew up. Um, and uh, weight was always a problem, but I blew up even more. Um, and... Uh, at the same time, I was having fun. I was, I was traveling some really exciting countries. I was speaking about HTH and Shareology and other topics in marketing too. And um, also I was uh, kind of dying on the inside. I was, I was having a burnout right in front of every audience. I was, I was, I was looking at my life and going, wow, am I, I'm like having an out-of-body experience because this is looking so amazing from the outside in, but from the inside out, I'm like from plane to plane, to plane, to plane, to plane, to plane, to plane. And the, and the agency is like uh, over here and kind of running itself, but not, and I'm trying to run it from the road and, and traveling in and out. And plus I've got kids at home and a family and I'm missing out. And one day I'm home and my 11 year old at the time, son, uh, he's holding me by the hand into the, into his room. And he said, dad, we got to talk, sit down. Whoa. Um, and he said, dad, you're, you are fat. He's, you know, 11 year old voice, right? He says, dad, you're fat and you have diabetes now, which he's right. I just got type two diabetes, which was in my family, but I shouldn't have gotten it this early. Um, and, uh, dad, you're not going to ever meet your grandchildren at this rate because you're going so you're, you're just going so much. You're going to die before you get to meet them. And I was like, oh man, knife in the heart. He's right. I'm like, just going, going, going. And he's like, and we don't get to see you at your sis at my sister's events or my events. And um, you just need to like slow down and we would like to see you more. And I'm like, oh, okay, now I'm in tears. And after I, ironically, I'm on the plane the next day and I went to an event and um, then I came home and I said to Courtney, everything needs to change. We need to restructure uh, process, um, look at our lives differently, look at health differently, look at how I do things, how you do things. Um, if you want, uh, not us, uh, we're fine, but just the business and how things are done. We did. And, and after that, um, after a, a year, uh, we, we eventually, we exited, uh, we got things straight. I went on vacation. I never missed a game again of the kids. I lost 85 pounds. I lost diabetes and I'm sitting here living my most joy 
my the life that I I truly truly love sitting sitting here talking to you right now. Um, and I've never been more present in my life in just about every conversation I have. Um, you know, it's just a just a wonderful place to be, and all because of that one moment that he sat down with me and he said, "Dad, we got to talk." And um, and now I work with business owners, entrepreneurs, executives, and I I I do what I love differently. I help them grow businesses, but I help them grow it so they don't burn out like I did and had to learn the hard way how to put systems and structures and processes and things in place all based upon their impact that they really want on the world, not the thing they think they want, but what's that real impact that you want? And then how are you going to deliver it so you don't burn out? That's what I love doing. Yeah, I, th I think it's come full circle with uh, having, especially your son, have a real human-to-human -human communication and, and tell you how he actually feels. And then you actually acting on that. And now that's gone full circle with your sharing your experience with other business owners, executives, how not to burn out and how to restructure uh, their lives to, to do what they love and, and continue to serve as well. So, yeah, I think it's a great blessing that that, that came around and it's uh, interesting how the, the circle and the loop uh, keeps going as, as well. So, yeah, just expand a little bit about what, what you're doing now. So you're basically uh, coaching and consulting business owners. Is, is that correct? Yeah, um, we're, well, I coach uh, five people every six months. Um, sometimes they, not sometimes, oftentimes they stay on. Um, and, and I work with them one-on-one -on -one, um, to create the life that they want and scale their business so that they can go on vacation without checking their email and still have a business when they get back. That's perhaps even grown since they've gone on business. So that's one, one thing that I love doing. The other thing is that we, we created a program that uh, does the very thing that, um, that I wish I had back when I had a business and we had 30 people and we had to do this all for ourselves. And um, it walks through basically what most business owners don't do, most executives don't do, which is they go into a business, they start or, or the start one and they start framing a house the house is their business and they start framing it. But then they, before they finish the frame, they move the furniture in and then they start selling what they're really good at. Uh, but they've never finished the house. And, um, and that's where burnout leads because they've never really put all of that stuff uh, that they really need um, into what that house could have looked like and how it could have really created what, what it will envision one day to where they wanted it to be. And so we take a step back and we kind of look at what, 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 will that, um, what will that need to have when that impact hits and where will you inspire people and how are you going to uh, deliver uh, some of the things that you can do that you don't have to do, you don't have to do. And you can start building on these building blocks um, and we can start creating the building blocks so that you can start to create a better life for you and your family, and this business can start to be uh, something that you don't have to work in, you can work on. And then from there, we work on system structures and process. So that's the program that we're working on right now. And we put over 60 people through and it's just phenomenal. It's, it's grown so many businesses and created so much revenue for them. But the revenue isn't really the important part. The important part is that they're healthy and they're living uh, more freedom in their lives. 
yeah, well, well said and put together. How can people access this program? Is it only for individuals or? <laughs> Excuse me. Yeah, if you go to h2hhnumber2hgrowth.com, uh, there's actually a, uh, a free masterclass that you can take. Uh, it's 15 minutes, and then there's a way to schedule a strategy uh, breakthrough meeting um, with me. And um, then at that point, we can talk about whether it, it, it makes sense for you or not. Um, and it, it works for individuals that are in business or have been in business. Um, that are in service-based businesses or uh, are entrepreneurs. Those are those are usually the, the type of people that we can serve. Yeah, perfect. And what else are you sort of working on, or um, any projects in the in the future? Is there another book in your brain? Or at <laughs> uh, well, uh, Courtney and I still are uh, one foot in the uh, marketing world, and we still have. Um, Clients, we have about five clients that we do outsourced CMO and creative director work with, and they're for purpose based companies. So we still keep our foot in that world. As for a book, I, I do have another book in me. Uh, it's it's coming. It's going to be about a lot of what we talked about um, in in the current kind of work that I'm doing and how that looks. Um, but I'm not ready to share yet what what or when um, it's it is coming though yeah that's okay no problem at all um a couple last questions before we wrap up um i'm interested to know if you were to have a, a dinner party with uh three people dead or alive uh famous people who would they be where would you take them what, what would you serve them three people a dinner party hosted by brian yeah um so um i so the first person i'm i i know I know I would, uh, it would be, um, I don't know why I'm blanking on his actual name. Uh, I'll say Forrest Gump and then you'll tell me his actual name. Um, Tom Hanks. Thank you. I don't know why I was blanking on his name. So uh, Tom Hanks is, uh, ironically, couldn't remember his name, but he's one of my favorite people in the world. Uh, he just can, the guy can, is just so human. Uh, love him to death. And then the other person I would say is, um, is uh, dead or alive? I would say is is I would pull my my dad into that um, because he would just absolutely love and adore uh, a dinner with him. And then the third person I would say is um, is well, dad. I got to go with my grandpa because uh, he was such a strong influence in my business life. Um, I would go to lunches with him. He was a CEO of a large uh, camping company, a large camping company. And he taught me, he would have me sit there and listen to his conversations. And then afterwards he'd, he'd ask me, what did I learn? And then he'd, he'd point to certain areas of the discussion and he'd say, why, why do you think I did that? And what did you think about the discussion? And what did you learn from it? What did you take away from it? And do you think I should do business with these guys? And every single discussion was like that. And I just learned so much from that guy. So um, I'd pull, I'd pull him back from the dead, and we we would have a three, uh, we would have those three yeah, that'd people. That'd be awesome. So the, yeah, your dad, your pop, and uh, Tom Hanks. Now, what character would you want Tom Hanks uh, to come as? Oh, himself. Oh, himself. Oh, himself. Yeah. Perfect. Um, now, where can my audience sort of uh, find? What's the best place for them to connect with yourself online and, and to purchase your books as well? Oh, they can go to briankramer.com. 
Brian with a Y, Kramer with a K. Uh, ironically, I said that to my dad the other day, and he said, uh, I named you. And I'm like, oh, yeah. I said it to so many people because, Dad, you named me with a Y, not with an I. And Kramer, you know, people spell it all kinds of ways. But anyway, Brian with a Y, Kramer with a K dot com. Um, if you sign up for my newsletter, you get $5 free in human coin, which is actual cryptocurrency. It's my own human cryptocurrency. And, um, and you'll get that free for just being a subscriber. So that's kind of cool. And that's actual real money. Uh, and you can cash out or you can keep it. And then that, that gives you access to other content and discounts and all kinds of things to courses and, uh, content books, all, all kinds of things you'll, you'll see when you sign up. So you'll, you'll get a, a newsletter sign up right when you get to the site and you check it out. Yeah. And I do reply yeah, human awesome. to human to everything. So, uh, hit reply and I will hit, hit reply back and we'll be in a human to human conversation. Perfect. We could have uh, discussed more on the crypto side, but uh, we'll leave it at that. So, Brian, thank you for being a, a great guest on the Best Book Bits podcast and all the best in the future with your endeavors. And yeah, thank you for all your hard work on the last decades and inspiring teaching and, and being who you are. So um, thanks so much and enjoy the rest of your day. Oh, wonderful. Thank you so much, Michael. I really appreciate it. And to everybody else out there, uh, live human to human, be human to human. And thank you all so much. I can't wait to have a conversation with any and all of you. And, uh, and to you again, Michael, thank you so much. Perfect. Thanks, Brian. Take care. Okay, bye.